this is the on the radar show with your host radar as he highlights the sports topic of the week and while also diving into pop culture yes this is your host radar and with the fifth installment of on the radar where we dive into local and national sports topics and pop culture so let's start locally it's the baseball hot stove yes players are no longer signing long-term deals for what they used to do and players are signing young players to an extension to buy at arbitration years and they are going in the route of let's not give anybody over the age of 32 a long-term deal and people are afraid they're going to not get paid in the free agent market so they sign these extensions so they not have to go into free agency because guys who are attached with draft picks a lot of times have to wait until spring training or this year Dallas Keuchel and Craig Kimbrell they had to wait until after the draft essentially for somebody to sign them and some guys, when they sign those deals late in the year, they don't have great seasons as well. So there aren't as many good players in the market. But the number one catcher on the market was Yasmani Grandal, who statistically is one of the three best offensive and defensive catchers in baseball, and specifically the National League, at least, for argument's sake. And the White Sox, who had James McCann, who made the All-Star team in the American League, improved offensively and was always known for his defensive ability. Sox still went out and signed Yasmani Grandal. They signed him more because of how good he is offensively. He's a switch hitter, but with mostly righties, he's going to bat left most of the time. The Sox needed a left-handed bat, and they also needed some protection to line up for Abreu, Mankata, and Eloy because they weren't getting that much production. Now, Yasmani Grandal is currently ranked as one of the best defensive catchers. He is in his, he's about to be in his, he's in his early 30s. So he's about to be approaching the mid-30s soon. He's also battled injuries in his career. He also was part of the Biogenesis Clinic scandal, so he's missed time due to drug suspension. The, the, the best part about his signing is, is play him at DH three, three to four times a week because McCann is still good enough to be an everyday catcher. We don't have any offense out of the DH spot. So having Gradal DH, I don't know, three times a week and Abreu DH maybe two times a week, and then you rotate Eloy in maybe once or twice a week, it could work a system that McCann plays enough to get his value in, Gridal gets his value in. Now, everybody's saying, yay, the Sox spent money because they haven't been spending it. But as a Sox fan, I understood. If you're not going anywhere, why sign players to long-term deals? It was great that we didn't get Harper or Machado when I didn't think we needed either of them, nor did we really need them because Moncada had a great season. So did Tim Anderson. So we didn't need to move Moncada and Anderson all over the place just to accommodate... Moncada, just to accommodate Machado, because Moncada right now is one of the good third basemen in the American League. Tim Anderson's one of the better shortstops in the National League, so there was no need for him. Now, you said there's no need for him because he got McCann. It works out offensively. Now, they did sign him to sign his contract, the largest contract in Sox history. It's because the Sox don't sign enough players into long-term deals. And the Sox also, after Bray accepted his qualifying offer, they couldn't wait they had to go restructure his whole deal to give him a three-year deal because they wanted him to stay around, and they wanted him, and he wanted a long-term deal. He wasn't looking for the most amount of money per year or just for one year. So, great, you lock him up and you have Grandal, and McCann is only on a contract for one year, so you only have to worry about the issue for one year between the two of them. The White Sox need to get some starting pitching. I would not give up a draft pick. For Zach Wheeler, I know he's younger than most of these free agents, but he's battled injuries, and I don't really trust him. Plus, he was the fifth-best pitcher on the Mets last year because they had the ground center guard Mats, and they traded for Marcus Stroman. The White Sox need to look at Dallas Keuchel, Julio Turan, Colin McHugh, 
Wade Miley. They need guys that can pencil in between Giolito, Cease, and if Kopech comes back and he pitches the way he's supposed to be, if Lopez figures it out, if Rodon comes back, they don't need over-the-top starting pitching because everybody said it's open for the Sox. The Cleveland Indians are st- and the Twins are still better than the White Sox, no matter what happens. Yeah, the Twins need more pitching. Yeah, the Twins could be better defensively, but they're a lot better than the White Sox right now, and so are the Cleveland Indians because if Corey Kluber and Carlos Carrasco and Mike Clevenger and Shane Bieber are healthy, that's a pretty good rotation right there off the bat. And they still got Brad Hand as their closer. And having a full season of Fran Mel Reyes is a good thing. Jose Ramirez hopefully bounced back from injury. And Tyler Nakin will be healthy, and he'll have a full season of Oscar Machado. So they will be much better than they were last year, the Indians, just because of health. Now, the Bears fan. The Bears only won that game. You could say, oh, Trubisky had a touchdown. He had a, a pa- one rushing and one passing. But he did have two turnovers. And the defense was the star of the game. They gave up 243 yards total to the Giants, 143 and like 95 to break it down, passing and, and uh, rushing. It was Khalil Mack forcing that fumble that led to one of the Trubisky touchdowns. The Giants were only at an 8% success race on third down. That game is summarized by, yes, Trubisky got the offense, but if the defense didn't hold the Giants to two touchdowns and force Daniel Jones to his fumble then there would have been no way for Trubisky to have lead this team because every week it's Tredge to get down the field and score. They don't really score in the first half. They beat the Lions because they had a backup quarterback facing them. The reason why they lost to the Rams because even though the Rams are in a similar position, they have a run game. They, they don't have like a great run game, but they have Todd Gurley, and Jared Goff is better than Mitch Trubisky. Now the problem is in this game, Eddie Pinero missed an extra point. Last week he missed two field goals. And against the Lions, he missed one of his extra points as well. So he's missed a couple extra points and a couple field goals in the last three weeks. And in in this game, no opportunity for a field goal because the Bears couldn't get the ball down the field. The Bears thought they had kickers settled and they thought they had the defense, and it was just on the offense. Well, the offense isn't playing the way it's supposed to be. The defense has been okay, and and their kicker is screwing them. And, And the Bears have to accept that Trubisky was a mistake, and that's on Ryan Pace. They often may have to accept the fact that Maybe Matt Nagy was a mistake because you can rotate kicker in, kicker out, running back in, running back out, but you're wasting the defense because they're keeping you in the games. The Bears are definitely not making the playoffs this year because the Packers and Vikings are way better than them, and the Panthers and the Seahawks and the Rams all are trying to fight for the two wildcard spots, and whoever doesn't win the Cowboys division, if it's not the Cowboys and the Eagles win it, they're fighting for the wildcard spot. And at the same time, so that this means the Bears season's over. The Bears have lots of questions, and that go all the way to the top of the, the thing. Is Ryan Pace's fault for drafting, for trading up for the draft pick, for signing this coach? It's all going to fall on him. Now, as a Sox fan, you can blame Kenny Williams because he failed up. You can blame John Paxson. He failed up. They're supposed to hire this great young up-and-coming front office executive to be the GM from the Saints, that he was learning how to, how to do the thing right, and he did not. Now, when it comes to football in the AFC, the Bills are the fifth seed, and the Steelers, the Raiders, and the Browns, and whoever doesn't win the South, that could be the Colts or that could be the Texans, they're all fighting for the other two wildcard spots. Now, the Bills' schedule is the Cowboys, the Ravens, the Steelers, the Patriots, and the Jets. There's a chance they could beat the Cowboys, and they could chance they could beat the Steelers because that would mean they control their own fate. 
but it's very unlikely to beat the Ravens and the Patriots. So it's at least two losses there. So if you say they can beat the Steelers and they can beat the Jets and or maybe the Cowboys, they get two wins, but that doesn't give them enough because the Raiders, outside of losing to the Chiefs, they face the Titans, who are average. Jaguar, who are horrible. The Chargers, who are having a down season, and the Broncos, who are having a bad season. So they could take care of their own destiny, the Raiders, if they beat two of their own division rivals in the Titans and the Jacks. So they could potentially win four games and take one of those two wildcard spots. As I said about the Steelers, they face the Bills in one of those weeks. But guess what? They face the Jets, and they face the Browns. Yeah, the Browns think they have a chance to make the playoffs, but if, if the Steelers win this game, this upcoming game, they beat the Cardinals, and they beat the Jets, that's three wins. And if they beat the Bills in that matchup, they could certainly clinch three out of four wins because I don't think they're going to beat the Ravens. Unless the Ravens have clinched their own division and they're nothing to play for, then the Steelers can win can win all five games, but high is likely they're going to win three or four. So they and the Raiders have the best chance, and if the Colts don't win their own division, they have to face the Titans, so that's on them. they got to face the Titans, and they got to beat them. they got to face the Buccaneers, okay, and they got to beat the Jaguars. If they could beat the Buccaneers, the Titans, and the Jaguars, they can get three wins. If they could beat the Panthers, they get four. The only issue is that they're going to be facing the Saints, and that would probably be their only loss. Now, the Texans have an easier schedule because once they lose to the Patriots, they got to face the the Browns, the Bucks, and the Titans twice. If they could beat the Titans twice, the Buccaneers and the Browns, they could probably win that division. And then the Colts would have to try to win out and try to hold off the Steelers and the and the and the Raiders. So I, even though the Steelers don't have all the talent based on who they got to play and who the Raiders have to play to end this season, the Raiders and the Steelers, based on the schedule, have the best chance. The Colts are right after them. But if they win a division because the Texans blow some games to, like, the Browns or the Titans, that's on them and the Bills. And if the Bills somehow beat the Cowboys and the Steelers and they beat the Jets, then maybe they have a chance as well. The AFC wildcard is going to be exciting as well as the NFC because the Saints are wrapping up the division, so the Panthers are trying to win the wildcard. The Cowboys and Eagles both want to make the playoffs, but only one can win the division. Same situation with the Texans and Colts. And... The Seahawks and the Rams still think they're a, 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 they're, they can make the playoffs. They're going to have to get the wild card spot. And both the Packers and Vikings are good, and they got to get the wild card spots. Now, in baseball land, for every team that is not the White Sox, it seems like so far the Atlanta Braves are the only team to make moves. They just re-signed their own free agent, Chris Martin, who they traded Kobe Albert for, and they just signed Travis Darnot. Now, this is I take this personally as a Mets fan. When we traded Ari Dickey, for Noah Syndergaard and Travis Darno and whoever else it was in the deal, Darno was supposed to be that great offensive catcher who was okay defensively, but you could take him for being a good offensive catcher because the Mets have the, had one of the greatest catchers of all time, Mike Piazza, who was known for his offense. So you would think that's a good trade, but Syndergaard turned out to be that really good pitcher, and Darno could barely could, couldn't consistently hit. He couldn't stay healthy. And he wasn't also the world's greatest defender. So if you're not hitting and you're not a great defender, what are you going to do? So the Mets decided to keep him in the, to start the season instead of keeping Kevin Polecki, who was a backup. They traded Kevin Polecki to the Indians, and then they basically said goodbye to Darno. The, the Dodgers picked him up, and they flipped him to the Rays, who had four catchers on the disabled list. And for the Tampa Bay Rays, he provided some offense occasionally, you know, and he DH'd some games. Now, the Braves, because Tyler Flowers is not a good hitter, they said, well, he's a good fielder. We'll get Darno. So the, the, the Braves have 
Mets reject catcher Darno and Sox reject catcher Tyler Flowers is their catching tandem. And they have Chris Martin in a bullpen that has Shane Green, Mark Melanson, and Will Smith and Darren O'Day. So they're trying to hedge their bets to say, ha-ha, Nationals, your bullpen was horrible last year. Mets, your bullpen was horrible. And the Phillies, your bullpen was so injured that Robertson, who was your star for Asian signing, missed basically a whole entire year. So they're hedging their bets having a good bullpen because they got all the question marks in the rotation. It seems like the Braves are the only team that want to do anything. Now, in recent, recently, there have been a few teams that have done things in free agency. Like the Rangers last year when I got Lance Lynn to be in the rotation. Then they went in and they got themselves, and they had Mike Miner. So they have Lance Lynn and Mike Miner is the rotation. And they decided, you know what, we're going to continue that trend of we're going to get guys who are really back-end starters in their career, and they're not top of the uh, rotation guys. They went in and they got Kyle Gibson. Kyle Gibson, for a while, was a pretty good back-end starter. They had a little some down year, and they said, let's go get him. So they go out and now have Lance Lynn and Kyle Gibson and Mike Miner. They're all veteran pieces that go in the back of rotation. The Rangers need a frontline starting pitching. They need a third baseman. They probably need a catcher. Yeah, they need a catcher. And instead of playing Joey Gallo in center field or in left field, they need a center fielder. Joey Gallo should be DHing or play first base because they don't have a first baseman. Now, at least I can credit the Rangers. They made some moves today, and the Padres made some moves as well. And that their things are happening with the Padres bringing back Drew Pomerantz, who was on their team as a relief pitcher and a starting pitcher. And every every stop he's been in, Colorado, Oakland, San Diego, Boston, Naaman, he's done both, started in relief. Had some streaks of being good, some streaks of being bad as a starter, but always been good as a reliever. And the Padres paid him a lot of money to be a reliever when the Padres already have a good bullpen. It's the rotation that's lacking outside of Chris Paddock. But then they also said, let's trade our second baseman because we don't need it, even though Ian Zekiller was a mess last year. And we got Tatis and Machado on the left side. We'll trade him to the, the, the Brewers, who... Just called up Keston Hero to play second base, and they already have a shortstop in Arcia. Unless Luis Urias is going to move all the way to third base, or Keston Hero is going to move to third base, and they're going to have Travis Shaw actually finally play first base. I don't understand what they're doing. Yes, they have a stacked outfield of Lorenzo Cain, Yelich, and Braun, and Ben Gamble is a great fourth outfielder for them, but they traded Trent Grisham, one of their better prospects. Now, unless Trent Grisham can play center field, the Padres are in the same mess they were in. They get traded Fabio Reyes because he and Renfro, Hunter Renfro, were both corner outfielders. So was Will Meyer. So was Josh Naylor because he's a corner infielder playing the outfield. So unless he's going to play center field, it's a bad trade to trade the guy who's going to play second base for you. Yes, they went and got Zach Davies, who'd been Milwaukee, one of Milwaukee's best pitchers the past couple of seasons, went healthy, but he's not that one starting pitcher that will help the Padres be go from a horrible team to a good team. They need frontline starting pitching or they need depth. And they signed only a relief pitcher recently. So the trade doesn't make any sense. Now, in the world of pop culture, we're wrapping down the uh, fall schedule. And NBC's one-hour show that they put on on Monday nights because the voice is on for two hours, Bluff City Law, Jimmy Smith's third attempt at being having a lawyer show, it has 10th and final episode this week. And instead of it just ending with them solving a case, it ended in murder and a love triangle situation. The ex-husband being with the main character, but then her co-worker, who they, 
kind of see sparks flying, interacting, and kiss. whoop de doo I The show wasn't that great of a show to begin with, but with the signs of being 10 episodes and not being given additional episodes in the year 2019, it's a good sign that it's going to be not renewed, nothing f- coming from it. Now, I'm not that old. I'm going to be 27. I thought I'd live in a world where broadcast television shows get 18 to 22 episodes, and if they get additional episodes, they get 23, 24, 25, 26. But 10 episodes? That's Cable Land. That's FX Networks. It's Comedy Central. It's Sci-Fi Network. It's AMC. It's those. It's Adult Swim. It's those stations. So to give a broadcast show 10 episodes means you didn't have faith in it to begin with, so fine. I thought this show, because it's an hour drama, they would give it 12, maybe 14 episodes, 12 to 15 episodes and see where it goes. Now there's going to be an opening for a couple of months, and they're going to put that Amy Poehler, Nick Offerman craft show, because that's NBC's format. We have The Voice, which is our American Idol, on two nights, and we're going to then have one drama that lead into it. And I think the first season, maybe the second season, Blind Spot, was that follow that lead-in show. And that was a good idea. They've had many shows that have been the following show from The Voice, Manifest last year, and a few others. But most of them have been canceled. The only one that has been canceled has been Blind Spot. But they've been trying to cancel it because it went from going to Monday night to being on a Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday type of schedule to being Friday nights. ABC schedule is... Dancing with the Stars sometimes could be two nights, but we make it one night for two hours. And I'm, they're very smart to have a good doctor just stay in that block for three hours after. I mean, that third hour block right after Dancing with the Stars for three years. Because before then, they've had other shows, and they, they've come and gone, and they've moved them around. But that's their Monday night schedule. The CW, because they and Fox are on that only two-hour program, Fox has 911 now Monday nights. It used to be the Gotham Hour now it's 9-1. They put Prodigal Son there. CW is, I don't understand, it's a racial thing. Black Lightning and All-American, which were not originally on Monday nights or on Monday nights. And CBS, because they don't have a competition reality show that affects them, they go two half-hour sitcoms and two dramas. Now, Dr. Bull has been on Mondays for a couple of years, but it used to be that Tuesday night show on CBS that would be sandwiched in between two NCISs because they have they can't just have an NCIS night on Tuesday nights. They have to put one NCIS on Sunday night, and they got to put the other two on Tuesday night. And now FBI, for two seasons, has been jabbed, stabbed right in the middle of the two NCISs. And the neighborhood's on for two years. But shows like Big Bang Theory have shifted from Monday to Thursday. How I Met Your Mother and Two and a Half Men have also shifted from Monday to Thursday when they've had half-hour sitcoms as the lead-in for these dramas. All Rise fits perfectly into the the courtroom drama show with Bull on Monday nights. It just doesn't really fit in with, with Bob Artavashola, which is like a, a romance comedy that's horrible. And The Neighborhood was like a family comedy. The Neighborhood would be, go great with, you know, Young Sheldon. It'd go with The Unicorn. It feels like Bob Arashola would be better to go with Perfect Harmony, Carol's Act, or Mom, but I don't think it's going to be renewed, nor Perfect Harmony, which is only given 13, which is fine, because it's somebody's Bradley Whitford's schedule. But that's Thursday nights, where they show four half-hour shows and then one-hour drama, and that's their Law & Order SVU that's been on for many years, the only successful law show they've had for a while. And Sunday nights on NBC is football, so they're out of the question. Fox used to do the 6.30 episodes some weeks of a half-hour show, mostly animated, but then did it when the football season was over. Then they do four half-hour animated shows. It's the first year in a while because it's been a lot of our dramas like Last Man on Earth, Brooklyn Nine-Nine, and Rel that have been in the animated animation, so that makes no sense. And 
Tuesday nights on ABC, like Wednesday nights, is let's show four half-hour sitcoms and one-hour drama. This year, it's Stumptown and Emergence after all these half-hour sitcoms. Thursday night is Thank God It's Thursday, which has only been female empowerment. So How to Get Away with Murder, Grey's Anatomy, Station 19, which is on only in the spring or the fall, and they move and they put in a million little things on instead. Now, Million Little Things is not a woman empowerment thing, and it was and it was used to be on like another night, Tuesday or Wednesday night. That'd be a better idea for it, because I can't remember what show was between Grey's Anatomy and How to Get Away with Murder that would be perfect in that block, because it's been a while and Million Little Things has been in that block, and Friday nights on ABC is two half-hour sitcoms and used to be Shark Tank. Now it's just 2020 and Shark Tank's on Sunday night. With it, with the kids say the darnest things again, wasteful hours, and the rookie move from being on during the regular weekday to being on Sunday night, and hopefully the ratings don't screw it and it gets taken away. As I said, Wednesday night, NBC has it correct. Let's just have all the Chicago shows one night. I know you want to separate, you want to scatter all your viewers, but one night is a great idea. If, you, if somebody just wants to stay in one night and watch, they don't have to worry about it. every single night. Let's try to figure it out. That's what. It, CBS should do, put all the NCIS shows all in one night. CBS got the got it right on Wednesday nights, though, that it's a good idea to move SWAT, which is a procedural, you know, cop show, the same night with the procedural military show SEAL Team. They're both Wednesday nights. Yeah, they have, like, Survivor, Big Brother, all these stupid, um, amazing race, all these stupid reality competition shows just before it, but for those two hours, it's perfect. Now, they introduce evil in the block that, you know, SWAT was in, but as I said, they're doing the same thing they do Mondays. Let's show some comedies and let's show some drama. Friday nights have been Blue Bloods night. The Blacklist is on Friday nights. And the Blacklist is on Sundays, I mean. And the, so it's been Blue Bloods, Hawaii Five O, and now Madden P.I. Because MacGyver, they give it less episodes, so it's going to be on in the spring instead. So I call that night the remake night, the long-running show that CBS won't get rid of, like, the NCAS franchise, and on Sundays, Blacklist has, is on Sundays as well, and on Sunday nights, the Got Frenemies on, and I said NCIS in 60 Minutes, so, oh wait, no, it's, uh, Blacklist is the NBC show, I'm sorry, NBC on Friday nights have the Black, Blacklist, and it's CBS on Sundays that have Madam Secretary, 60 Minutes, and one of the NCISs with Got Frenemy. And God Frenemy's done well. But it really does not go in the block of political show and NCIS type of show. Now, the blacklist is on Friday nights on NBC with Dateline. Now, Blind Spot has been on Friday night the past couple of years, but it's going into its final season. So the blacklist will probably go away, and they will put Blind Spot on when it comes back with Dateline. But as again, some of these schedules are great. Things that don't make sense are throw your throw a drama in the middle of NCIS, separate NCIS. It's to put the ABC NBC model of Dancing with the Stars and the Voice and you know American Idol type of thing, where you you have one show Monday night, one show uh, two shows the other night. So this is us in New Amsterdam. Are right after the Voice. That's that's fine. They've been doing well there. <laughs> CBS doing the Monday night, Thursday night sitcoms with drama, that's fine. It's the, separate in the NCIS, it's the, 
putting God Friend of Me in a weird block. And at the same time, I do like the fact that they put all the remakes Friday night. That's fine. Separate them all, put them all over there. CBS did get it right by moving SEAL Team and Swap, but that's the issue with separating things. NBC, at the same time, they don't have that many half-hour sitcoms. They're on Thursday nights, and they have SVU, and they don't really go together, Law & Order SVU. Law & Order SVU makes sense to be on Tuesday night or Monday night or even on Wednesday night, but there's no room for it, so maybe put it on Friday nights with a blacklist. It doesn't really go with sitcoms. A Million Little Things doesn't really go with the Thank God It's Thursday night, but it's been okay recently. And ABC's format of half-hour sitcom, Tuesday, Wednesday, and then go into a drama, and then Friday nights do half-hour sitcom. It's, it's worked out well enough. The Fox had things well. The Resident was great. It was right after 911. Moving it to Tuesday night was a very silly idea because Prodigal Son, yes, yeah, procedural show, but The Resident and 911, they save people. That's the sort of thing. Prodigal Son would have been good if you put it with another detective type of show. Empire and The Resident don't go together, and Almost Family doesn't really go with The Masked Singer, but they have to put Almost Family somewhere. And that's probably going to end. Now, Thursday nights and Friday nights have been a waste because of live sporting events. And Sunday nights have been, they finally corrected the half-hour animated sitcom. So some stations have it going well and some do not. Every station, though, wants to have a competition reality show. That's something that's annoying that they hope to fix, but that's what America likes. Now, I'm encouraged that NCIS... It's been on all these years, and I'm glad that FBI is having a spinoff. So there's another show, but the real question will be, will they be on simultaneously, or will one go on, break for a month or two, take the time slot, or will it be on a different night? If they don't renew all rides, but they do renew the uh, FBI's Most Wanted, maybe it goes into that segment as well. And since they're renewing evil, it's probably going to stay Thursday nights. The real question is, is what half-hour sitcom is going to be there? Bob Savashola, Cheryl Second Act, and the unicorn, let's say they all get canceled, to be there with the neighborhood and if the neighbor gets renewed in Young Sheldon. Those are the, the things. They have to figure that out. And Friday nights, they got, they got it all figured out. NBC, they have to figure out which show that could be the, the follow afterwards to The Voice that will actually stay on the air long because Blindspot has been the only one manifest. Everybody thought it was canceled. Yes, it's coming back. But nobody really knew if it was coming back because it didn't get that many episodes. It then disappeared, and they were like, oh, now we're going to renew it when before the summer. ABC's format of half-hour sitcoms, one-hour drama, I would rather just have one night of half-hour sitcoms and another night of all dramas and have the rookie emergence in some town all be the same night. And then Sunday nights, because Sunday night is football night, and Sunday night is also animation domination night. I don't think it's a good idea you put the rookie on Sunday nights. And Supergirl, CW, good job. You put it with Batwoman. The two of them are female superheroes. Great idea. I don't get the racial black lightning and All-American, but I'll take it in Arrow because it's in his final season. You want to put it in the same slot at nighttime with The Flash, the second long, the second superhero show? That's one thing. You want to put your teen drama, Nancy Drew, after Riverdale? Good. There's a night to put Supernatural and Legacy. Okay. I don't watch Legacy. It's a, it's a spinoff. I don't watch Supernatural. It's been on for a while, but it's always been on Thursday nights, Supernatural, except for a couple of years when it swapped around with Arrow. Friday nights, being Charmed and Dynasty, I just call that the remake night that nobody cares about. It's, 
they made it's super. It's the fact that CW went to Sunday nights because they only have two hours. When the issues, the the problem, the solution is go to three hours. But Supergirl and Batwoman same night, perfect. When Arrow ends, hopefully Legends is Tuesday night, perfect. The Riverdale spinoff should be the same night as Riverdale. It makes sense. And any other shows they have on the network will be on Thursday, Friday night, and it really won't matter unless Roswell, New Mexico is going to be Tuesday nights. But that, again, is a remake or spinoff, whatever you want to call it. That could also be Thursday and Friday nights. So it's very encouraging that some of the networks get it correctly and some of them don't. I'm not a big fan of somewhat of CBS's and ABC and NBC's three originals, how they do it, but the Dance of the Stars and the Voice give them all the... That's where they get themselves in. NBC's Wednesday night is the best idea to call it Chicago night. That's perfect. The CBS just got to make an NCIS night. And ABC's got to figure out a way to not have to do some sitcoms and dramas and mix them together like CBS does. Not a great thing. And NBC doesn't have that many sitcoms, so putting them all Thursday night. But with SVU, it still doesn't make any sense. And Fox, if it gets original programming Thursday and Friday, I can come back and comment on it. But... It's Empire and Resident that don't go together. But hey, you got an animated sitcom on Friday, on uh, on Sunday nights now to go with Bob's Burger Simpson Family Guy. Hooray for you. Congratulations. And when Last Man Standing comes back, what's going to go with it? I don't know yet. So, basically, the Bears, if they're ever going to win, they need their defense to... They, their defense is the only reason why they win. they got to fix the quarterback and coaching situation. Glad the White Sox made some moves. Hopefully there's some more free agent signings and trades that happen. And both the wildcard spots are going to come down to teams you never expected, like the Bills and the Raiders and maybe the Browns. And in the a- a- NFC, it could be that the Rams will make the playoffs and the Eagles may not make the playoffs. Thanks for listening to On the Radar with Radar. That's me. Tune in next time for the next edition of, of the podcast. This was the On the Radar show with Radar. For more from him, check out his Facebook page, On the Radar Entertainment Blog. His long-form articles are radar4428.blogspot.com. His YouTube account on the radar. Follow him on the Twitter at Radar4428 and download his podcasts from Apple Podcast under On the Radar.